They were senescing. They, they were senescing. They were DNA damage to blame. Da, 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 da. If you'd have been there, ba, ba. if you'd have seen it, ba, da, da. you would have senesced <laughs> just the same. Ba, ba, ba. Tilo, I've never watched Chicago, but that's gonna be the intro. <laughs> <laughs> yet a doctor they always say you know with age comes wisdom and with this podcast comes age so (laughs) 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 hopefully you get some wisdom by the end of it too my name is sienna i am a phd candidate in neuroscience at mcgill university my name is beth i'm doing my phd in particle physics at sapienza university of rome and my name is Alistair, and I'm a PhD candidate in chemistry at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. And we are your PhD three. To be. To, to be. Or not to be. That is the question. <laughs> yeah. Or three A. <laughs> oh, Sienna, that tagline. Um, this podcast has definitely taken a couple years off my life. That's for sure. I mean, like, Agreed. I was more thinking too. Like, some of these episodes get to be like so, like, especially the recording of them gets to be quite long, a few hours long. But you know, mm-hmm. yeah. we're a few hours more wise by the end of it. So maybe yeah, listeners <laughs> will hopefully be an hour to an hour and a half wiser yeah. by the end of this podcast. Or maybe you'll have only spent an hour listening, but you'll be an hour and a half wiser because of the amount of wisdom in this one hour. Who's to say? That, mm. I, that, I might be taking it too far there, really. <laughs> I might be blowing us up a little bit too much. An hour and a half listening, but you'll only be an hour wiser because you'll have been traveling really fast. Oh, good point. Um, Does our podcast make you travel at the speed of light? (laughs) (laughs) No, this Uh, isn't a physics episode. This isn't a physics episode. Not yet. (laughs) So I guess today, what we're going to be talking about is aging and what it is. Maybe a bit about why it happens, what is happening. Um, Yeah, and to do that, I actually enlisted the help of a scientist who studies aging in the lab. So his name is Om Omer, and I'm going to let him introduce himself Um, for you While you're getting this ready, can I just ask a question? Are you going to give us a secret to eternal youth? Yeah, always. Could you imagine if I did a whole episode on aging and didn't give you the secret to eternal youth? Ah. Come I don't on. know. These scientists sometimes want to keep their secrets for themselves, you know? We are all about open science here. Look, if I if I remember anything from the movies, you just have to go out in the desert and dig up the Ark of the Covenant and find the Holy Grail and <laughs> drink from it, and then you have eternal life. Well, so scientists realized, like, that's not a very accessible solution to eternal life, so we're still f- trying to figure out another one, you know? But if you're rich enough... Right. Okay. Of course. Okay, so I'm going to let... Um, yeah, let's Om um, introduce himself. Yeah, let's meet Om. Um. Yeah, so I'm uh, Om Omer. I'm a PhD student in that the lab of uh, Dr. Emed Galuzi. I'm currently in my fifth year of my PhD, studying uh, cellular senescence and the impact of uh, the accumulation of these cells and how their inflammation can potentiate age-related diseases, uh, particularly cancer and neurodegeneration. So he studies brain cells. 
No, so what he studies, he said cellular senescence. So this is, senescence is just a fancy word for, like, aging. But in the field of, in the field of cells, it's like the specific process that happens to cells that as they get through more and more cell divisions, they sort of accumulate um, injury and this leads to them to stop dividing after a certain while. Mm-hmm. And then they, okay. that's called, they senesce and they stop dividing and usually they're killed off by the immune system because they're no longer of use. But in, mm-hmm. in aged individuals, the immune system can't actually necessarily handle the burden of killing off all of these cells, so then they can also start to accumulate. Oh, interesting. And this is, like, cells everywhere, all over your body. Yeah. So, I mean, we can talk about... I actually asked him all of these questions, too. So it might be wise to let the aging scientist speak for <laughs> the field of aging. <laughs> Sorry. Is that a polite way to refer to him? <laughs> <laughs> it might be. It might not be. The scientist who studies aging... Um, he might be best <laughs> to explain what cellular senescence is and okay. where it occurs. So cellular aging, also known mm. as cellular senescence, I would define it strictly as a state of cell cycle arrest that mm. occurs in response to stress that accumulates over time. So mm-hmm. as you know, like where when we live, we eat, we breathe, these are micro stresses that accumulate in our body. And these stresses can lead to cells becoming damaged. And some of these damaged cells might become, for example, cancerous or defective. And so our body has a biological program to stop these cells from dividing and and continuing to propagate. And we call that cellular senescence. And so what happens is the cells actually stop dividing entirely. Um, And this is actually discovered in 1961 by Hayflick and Moorhead, where they showed that if you take cells in culture and keep passing them, passing them, eventually they're going to hit a limit, a Mm -hmm. finite limit. And once they hit that limit, they'll stop dividing. And in order to continue dividing, they have to either develop mutations and become a cancer, for example, or they'll be cleared by the immune system, for example. And that will be a generally positive thing. Him talking about living and breathing being stresses just made me stressed. <laughs> Don't stress. <laughs> stress is a stress. I mean, Everything is stress. Um... Alistair, you're in the final year of your PhD, hopefully. Mm-hmm. So, like, no wonder it's a stress. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, um, so he said, I had some questions yeah. about what he said. So if these cells get cleared by the immune, like, is the number of divisions that each cell has, like, let's say for a specific cell type, do they have the same number of divisions before they become useless and therefore cleared by the immune system no i don't think so i think it's a or i wouldn't maybe i think in like as he was referring to that paper in vitro that was the first to describe and study cellular senescence i think there was kind of like a general like a typical number or an average number of sort of cell cycles or cell divisions that the cells would go through before they started to senesce it's probably not the same for every single cell type, even of us, the same cell type, because the amount of stress it accumulates over its life or the types of stresses it like is subject right. to can change. But probably within a cell type, it's still there's probably falls on like a bell curve it's, average okay. number of yeah, divisions. It's similar. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then question number two. Like, I get that in old age, you start not really producing many new cells. Mm -hmm. 
But, like, until that point, your cells are still dying off and, like, reaching this senescence point. The senescence point is when these cells stop dividing. Like, the rate of division goes to zero. To try and put it in physics perspectives, like, velocity and acceleration, like, the acceleration is constant throughout most of your life of cell division, but then senescence is when acceleration hits zero. And so your velocity is still going, like, you're still, cells are still... Living, living but there's no more okay there's no more yeah. increase in divisions so you're not getting division anymore but your cells are still living yeah but my but this was <laughs> so this was how i like started thinking about it so when i said um so is it that and then i stopped myself because i raised my question didn't make sense like if you have a single cell that divides into two you can't say which of those was the original cell because neither of them were um actually Okay. <laughs> There's a lot of evidence that the parent cell, so you like a for a cell to divide, it has to create a lot of new structures, right? Because it needs to have pretty much double the stuff, mm-hmm. or at least enough stuff, so that when it splits, that new cell has enough stuff to live. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of evidence, at least like for mitochondria, especially which we all know is the powerhouse of the cell, it creates energy, <laughs> that like the bits of mitochondria that were old that belonged to the parent cell are all aggregated into the parent cell. Okay. And the newly produced stuff goes into the daughter uh-huh. cell. Okay. There's a lot of, yeah. I mean, I understand where the confusion comes from of like, if cells aren't dividing, how do we carry on going on? But cells are still constantly dividing. Like, I think when a cell senesces, and stops dividing, there's still enough other cells around it. There's enough other cells in the tissue that are still not senesced. They're still dividing and living. Mm-hmm. Like, we have a lot of cells <laughs> to take care okay. of these problems. Don't worry. Yeah, those two answers, <laughs> I think, go some way to explaining. So then if, if you can differentiate between the old cell and the new cell, then I can imagine that the new cell would have maybe not the same number as when you were born, but, like, it would have more divisions to go than the old cell would yeah. before it also senesces. Okay. Yeah, typically. That makes some kind of speaking. sense. Thank you. I have a clip on this that I can play. So um, I okay, asked cool. um, what he, what things lead to cellular senescence. So this is what he said. The number one most common denominator is uh, DNA damage. So these are mm-hmm. things that can just be uh, all categorized into oxidative stress that can directly impact your DNA or change your DNA. So these are things such as even eating, metabolism can generate oxidative stress. Uh, Things like UV radiation from the sun can uh, uh, cause (laughs) DNA damage. And also Mm -hmm. just the replicative stress that occurs over multiple divisions of of a cell. So as a cell continues to divide and propagate through the human body or human life cycle, that will be a stress on itself as well. Everything is stress. Existence is stress. <laughs> you heard it We're here just first. Big balls of <laughs> yeah, stress. Just like... But I think it's important yeah. to note for our listeners that the word stress means something very different in this episode than it might mean to you in your everyday life. Like the stress mm. we feel as humans existing and being perceived is very different. Like that's a general anxiety stress that's generated by our brain and is a feeling. The stress that we're talking about in this episode more refers to like chemical processes that can be damaging to cells and cell cellular structures. 
Okay. So yeah. things that can cause like biological damage to your yeah. cells. And these aren't like we're not talking about major biological damages. We're talking about it's kind of like if you own a car and you drive it for miles and miles and miles and miles, people will tell you like that the lifetime of a car, it's going to accumulate so much stress and damage and you should take it in for like a checkup at a certain point, right? Because mm. driving, which a car is designed to do, can also like leads to just damage from operating of the vehicle, right. you know? Yeah. And it's the exact same mm-hmm. thing with our cells. Cells existing yeah. and living and doing their job also stress like causes damage. And our yeah. cells have their own mechanics that are trying to take care of these and fix the, like cells and repair the stresses and so on and so forth. So it's not like, don't be very scared about eating all of a sudden. Eating is fine. We're built to eat. <laughs> the cells were built to yeah. eat. Yeah. So. Yeah. Can I enjoy that piece of cake? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Oh, oh my God. Enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, that's what uh, we're talking about. So like he said, DNA damage is a really big one. Um, the issue with DNA is that the enzymes that were built to replicate it, so every time it divides, they can't start at the very end. They have to start slightly internal to the end. So it's like you lose that end piece every time you replicate, and this causes damage over time. But hmm. telomeres are these structures at the ends of our DNA that are essentially just like long, long, long strings of DNA that mean nothing. They're not they're not used for making proteins. They're not used as part of the code. They're really just used to protect the ends of DNA. So I actually talked to Am about telomeres as well. So I'll play that clip now. So telomeres are these, maybe I should go backwards. I'm sure everyone has seen <laughs> the uh, picture of a chromosome, like the classic X uh, DNA. Yeah. And in a eukaryotic cell, and that means cells like a mammalian cell, cells that contain a nucleus, to put it simply. Mm-hmm. Our chromosomes are all packed together inside of this nucleus altogether with their ends kind of just open and available for the environment to come at and start to destroy. Now, mm-hmm. typically speaking, your, your, um, your, the cells in your body want to repair the DNA and have one long strand of DNA without any ends. Mm-hmm. So, so telomeres, one role that they serve is to protect the ends of the DNA almost like the plastic covering on like a shoelace. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this is that in we need these kind of open ends to efficiently replicate the huge amount of DNA that we have. Yeah. And so these telomeres serve a function of protecting those ends from being stuck together and forming circular DNA like our, our prokaryotic ancestors, ancestors <laughs> and to protect from damage that occurs over time. So what do I mean by the damage over time? One problem that comes or one limitation that comes from being a eukaryote with these chromosomes is that every single time a cell divides, the DNA gets a little bit shorter and shorter and shorter because we have to start dividing the DNA from a more internal site. The the point is that we need a lot of um, buffer room in order Mm -hmm. to maintain uh, maintain our genetic code. Because the moment that these telomeres degrade or shorten or disappear, our body will cue that as DNA damage. And some cells mm-hmm. will enter senescence as a consequence. Okay. And that's what I mean by replicative stress. When we talk about replicative stress, we're talking about the shortening of these telomeres causing the DNA damage response to be active 
and inducing mm-hmm. cellular senescence. Yeah, that's I, I knew about telomeres. I like the analogy of, of an aglet yeah. on a shoelace. Oh, yeah, they have a name. Exactly. Being protective of the shoelace. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's cool. Okay, so... But I, I don't really understand anything. So your okay. DNA in your... Because I really don't understand anything at all. No, that's okay. The chromosomes are like two little sections right yeah. of dna like two they're little gummy worms whole... right they're not but they're not the whole dna you don't have all of your dna in your chromosomes yes you do am I wrong? we have okay. 23 pairs of chromosomes so 46 chromosomes total so when you talk about the x shape you're talking about a pair of chromosomes so that's your mom set and your dad set and the reason right. why they cause an x shape is because they look very similar, and they can kind of, like, stick together at the center. Right. But that's... But, they only look like that when they're dividing, right, or something? Yes, but they are separate strings. So that one piece, that gummy worm, that can stick to another gummy worm at the center and make kind of, like, an mm. X shape, mm. those two ends are free ends. They are, like, the end of a string. Mm-hmm. And so then you have 23 pairs of these strings all floating around in your nucleus. So um, 46 right. open ends, I guess. Well, 46 times 2 because you have an open end at either side. And that's all your but, DNA. But, do you, it's a, okay, so that's all your DNA, but it, like one little gummy worm doesn't have all of your DNA on it. No, no, no. You have okay. 46 gummy worms. Which together And that's all your DNA. Normal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but they're not all connected. No, no, they're all, they're disconnected. Okay, and each of them has a telomere at each end? Yes. Okay, right, now I'm starting to get somewhere. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> so, a clip that I wanted to play first, and didn't, but probably should have, is I just asked Om to describe what, what aging is. Because, I mean, I know what aging is colloquially, and what it means to kind of communities and, like, societies of adults and people, humans, mm-hmm. but... I was wondering if, like, what what does it mean more in a field where you're studying it as, like, a research topic? So, here's how do we define aging. The best way to define aging, well, we have the colloquial definition, which is just how we change over time and how we grow older. But I think, scientifically speaking, we associate aging with the accumulation of symptoms of time and stress. So, these are things such as, like, frailty, cognitive decline, Um, increased um, potential to develop diseases such as uh, cancer, as we all know that cancer is an age-associated disease. So these are, I think, in science and the way that we look at it in the biological sense, how we would define aging. So there we go, kind of a definition Mm -hmm. of aging for what we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, Okay, so aging in a biological sense is about the diseases and biological differences that come with the passage of time yeah i think that's a good way to put it and so Mm. the next question i asked um of course is we know what cellular aging is which is senescence and the accumulation of damage in our cells over time and we know what aging is colloquially and scientifically as the accumulation of aging related symptoms over time Mm -hmm. so i asked him how are these two things linked if they are So that connection, we don't fully have a grasp of yet. But one thing that we do know is that um, inflammation plays probably one of the biggest roles in Mm -hmm. what we would call age-associated symptoms, right? And these Mm -hmm. are things like frailty, 
uh, sarcopenia being like muscle wasting of elderly patients or geriatric patients, uh, cognitive mm -hmm. decline. These are all things that we would associate as aged individuals or aged age-like symptoms. So when we look mm -hmm. at all of these, all of these um, symptoms and these different people, the common thing that we have is inflammation. And we actually even call this uh, inflammaging, which is a chronic and low-grade inflammation that occurs in aged individuals. Mm -hmm. And so this can potentiate disease and potentiate a lot of problems for uh, a lot of elderly individuals. So this is one, probably my favorite part, because it's exactly what I, yeah. what I studied it, okay? which is originally we actually thought that cellular senescence was just a state of cell cycle arrest and the cells would just sit there and do nothing. And they were just inactive, boring <laughs> little cells. And thank goodness we had them because it's a tumor uh, pre preventative mechanism. So we're stopping mm -hmm. cancer from developing, for example. But later on, um, um, scientists at the Burke Institute, um, uh, particularly Dr. Judith Campisi, discovered that these cells are actually active, metabolically active, and have uh, the ability to secrete different factors and communicate with their environment. And many mm. of these factors are inflammatory factors. And so what they showed and what we've discovered since is that one of the main roles of these inflammatory factors is actually to recruit the immune system. So they'll secrete mm -hmm. cytokines, growth factors, and a, a cocktail of different um, molecules to ask the immune system and surrounding areas to either come close, to divide, um, to also stop growing depending on the context. And so mm -hmm. if I had to say the number one um, effect is this low grade inflammation that these senescent cells are secreting. Mm -hmm. And this will recruit the immune system, generally speaking, to come and swallow that uh, senescent cell up and get rid of it. However, what mm -hmm. happens with aging is that our immune system becomes a little less efficient. So actually, if you look at uh, an individual over time, if you were to look at you or myself, young PhD students, quote unquote, <laughs> um, you, wouldn't find, you wouldn't find many senescent cells, but it's around the yeah. age of 50 or 60 where they start becoming detectable. And we believe mm -hmm. that this is due to this accumulated stress over time, leading to the accumulation of these cells within uh, different tissues. Mm -hmm. And so these different tissues will develop these... Uh, the small pool of senescent cells that will cause this low-grade inflammation. And uh, Judith Campisi actually coins this uh, sterile inflammation. And the reason why okay. she calls it that is that when you look at a, um, a cross-section, for example, of a tissue of an aged individual, you'll see that there's um, immune cell infiltration in the tissues without any yeah. pathogen, hmm. right? And you can that's one yeah. way a lot of uh, pathophysiologists and doctors will be able to to distinguish between a healthy tissue, say for example, my liver versus my mm -hmm. grandma's liver, one way is to see wow. the accumulation of these inf uh, inflammatory, uh, the accumulation of these inflammatory cells within the tissue. And of course you also see a lower quality of protein, lower quality of structure, but that can also be attributed to some degree to senescence itself and how these secretive factors communicate with the adjacent cells. Mm, Interesting. A lot of information there. Yeah. But a lot of information. Mm -hmm. it seems like it's it's all inflammation. Mm. And like I never th whenever I think of inflammation, I just think of someone getting puffy. Mm -hmm. Like mm. you know, like I don't know. Like having a allergic reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important to note here that inflammation is kind of this really broad term, even for biologists, that reflects mm. kind of this like 
it's like casting a net into the world of the immune system and it covers things like you have inflammation like Alistair's saying when you have an allergic reaction because you produce all of these antihistamines don't you produce histamine sorry his, you produce sorry. histamines that's why you use anti, yeah. you use antihistamines but you yeah. produce histamines which um activate immune cells to go to the location and they activate all of these um they release all of these proteins that can activate other cells to also respond um so there's that type of inflammation there's kind of like you know there's the inflammation of the immune system in response to a vaccine which is where you have sort of something that irritates the tissue and this calls immune cells to it because they think it's damaged and they want to fix the damage and this like activates your um adaptive immune response so cells that can sort of detect the very specific thing that you're showing them for example a piece of a virus protein or a viral particle then they can kind of Mm -hmm. like expand remember that viral particle and then go dormant again and lie lie in wait to catch it the next time they see it sort Mm -hmm, of thing mm -hmm. Um, okay there's local immune cells within your tissues normally so they're just there kind of scouting all the time they're like not inflammatory but then once they find something like a bacteria or a dying cell or a cell that's been transformed and might become cancerous then they they also become inflammatory and release factors to recruit other immune cells to come help them kill it, you know? So it's kind mm-hmm. of like there's a lot of different things inflammation is used for in our bodies. It's mostly just to respond to threats, both like threats of from external sources like bacteria and viruses, also threats from internal sources, so transfer, transformed cells. And typically it's mm-hmm. to either, like, it's to get rid of the threat, eliminate the threat, or... Um, to contain it. So these senesce cells almost like, once they reach their senescence point, mm-hmm. um, release stuff to kind of be like, hey, I'm at the end of my life, like, kill me. Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> or like, or like, I'm going to just chill here for a bit, like, don't kill me yet. That's pretty and much exactly what they do. I don't do, know yeah. why. I get it. Um, <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and so that's why he was saying in like young individuals where our immune mm-hmm. system is still very efficient at dealing with threats. Uh, Mm -hmm. they release these factors that are kind of like calling cards and being like, hey, come find me. I'm I'm done. I'm out. (laughs) And the immune system comes, finds it, takes care of the cell and leaves because you don't necessarily want senescent cells just sitting around releasing inflammatory factors, right? Like low-grade inflammation is also can be damaging because it does lead to activation of immune cells and immune cells are primarily, like they cause a lot of damage they like to take things out you know that's their job so mm-hmm. they're, they're both mm-hmm. machines they are they're very good at it so what type of cells senesce i thought it would be all cells yeah why don't we ask um the general answer is all types of all types of cells that have the capacity to proliferate mm-hmm. and so what i mean by that is the most how to maybe not iconic but most classical senescent type is the fibroblast and this is the yeah. kind of general worker cell in the body which is important for things like mm-hmm. your ligaments your tendons these are all regulated by fibroblast and these are all over your body <laughs> that's, a, that's probably probably one of the issues with senescence <laughs> that they're in almost every single tissue um yeah and you can imagine um other cells that are able to rapidly proliferate such as um, adipocytes like your fat cells 
they are able mm-hmm. to senesce and they secrete a lot of inflammation in fact and are are are, are often used as a model we know our yeah. um, immune system can also uh, become senescent particularly your b cells and your t cells um, yeah. which again a problem late, later in life and yeah. uh, we know certain cells in the brain can also senesce things like your astrocytes and your mm-hmm. glial cells uh, and particularly lately there's a lot of focus on astrocyte senescence uh, because they're so mm-hmm. abundant in the brain that it's hard to ignore them. And when we look at brain slices of age individuals versus young, you do see um, certain phenotypes of senescence in this, in age individuals. Cool. I thought brain cells didn't divide. Neurons. There are neurons. multiple types of brain cells. Neurons don't divide. Right. Yeah. Right. So neurons wouldn't senesce. Yeah, probably as far not. As, we know. as far as we know, they might like. It would be interesting. I've been wondering that question myself a lot, and I just don't. That would be like I would have probably have to spend a while on PubMed to try and like answer that. It would be interesting to, like, like what would senescence mean in the context of a cell that doesn't divide? Like, are right neurons are so highly specified and have their whole own set of functions? Like, would they ever even be able? Like, what would would an injury cause them to sort of release these factors that are associated with senescence? Mm. Like, what would do it? That would be a good question. To ask but yeah mm-hmm. since they don't divide they're typically not thought of like as cells that would be able to senesce but mm-hmm. astrocytes are like commonly known as the glue of the brain when they were first discovered um because people just thought they held the brain together and didn't do anything else they do a lot spoiler alert <laughs> um pretty much everything <laughs> but uh yeah. so they're like they divide a lot they're also they respond to injury as well so in a similar way that like other like if you have look at immune cells in the rest of the body um, astrocytes are also like injury responsive so that's another kind of interesting parallel and then they do they divide in response to an injury and accumulate and they also senesce eventually cool so yeah I also wanted to say that fibroblast kind of sounds like a new Mountain Dew flavor but... <laughs> fibroblast <Maybe it> <laughs> or a protein shake fibroblast yeah. Oh, yeah. with a lot of fiber in it mm-hmm. good for your gut Fibrobla- fibroblast yeah yeah. So <laughs> moving right along, I guess. So we've talked about what is senescence, which is the aging of cells. How is that related to aging generally? And how, so we kind of come to this like trifecta of senescence, aging, and inflammation. Like, how are all of these things mm-hmm. related? So I guess the next thing that we can talk about is what what Om studies and why, why does he know all of this information? You know, (laughs) why have I brought him on the podcast? So um, yeah, I'm going to play a clip just describing what he studies specifically. I'm particularly interested in these secretions. Um, And basically we, cellular senescence is a double edged sword. Um, By now, I hope it's made me clear that in one hand it is tumor preventative and that's a good thing. We don't want tumors. (laughs) Um, and we don't want cancer. So my interest is, can we separate the two? Can we separate the good parts of senescence from the bad parts? And the bad parts, namely being these secretions, what are called the SASP or senescence associated secretory phenotype. And so we call it that mm-hmm. because it's, it's a big group and we get to generalize it because depending on the <laughs> cell and how you induce that senescence, it'll change what's actually being yeah. secreted, right? But there is a commonality, mm-hmm. which is that there these are cytokines, chemokines, growth factors being secreted. 
yeah. in many cases. And that's just like a mainly a group of pro-inflammatory molecules or factors. Exactly right. So I want to understand, are these bad, number one, and can they promote disease? Uh, in particular, mm -hmm. uh, like I said, uh, cancer is one of my main uh, interests. And so we've shown at this point in ourselves and many other labs that senescence can actually be a potentiator and a promoter of the onset of, of cancer, which might explain why cancer is okay. age associated. So I have a question yeah. uh, about that clip. Does this mean that the promise of eternal life is a big lie? Who promised you that? You did at the beginning. Oh no, it was eternal youth you promised. <laughs> Oh, right. But then surely if you're eternally young, then you have to be living. I just I just mean, like, I think a lot of the medical and scientific community, like, works not towards eternal life, but, like, preventing disease and longevity yeah. of life. But I'm, I'm wondering, is there, like, an upper limit? Because it kind of seems like the body has all these mechanisms in place to kill us. To kill you. <laughs> like, <laughs> once you reach an age, once your cells reach a a division stage with your telomeres or with your um, senescence, yeah. like the body's kind of like, well, make some babies and the issue is like, die. no, for whatever reason, nothing, pretty much no multicellular organism was made to last. There's some mm -hmm. cases of things that can live quote unquote forever, like maybe hydras, mm -hmm. as long as they don't get eaten. <laughs> but. <laughs> No, like, definitely no mammal can live forever, or has not evolved to live forever. Mm. Um, and I think that's just due to the difficulty of preventing natural chemical reactions that are make life difficult from occurring within a cell. But Om um, mm. also has some really interesting things to say about the aging field and the difference between lifespan versus quality of life. And what, mm -hmm. what, the goal, what is the goal, right? So mm -hmm. here's a clip about that. I think a lot of people will conflate uh, aging and like death or mortality. Um, mm -hmm. And it's probably easier to look at it as a health span. For example, we don't have the capacity yet to uh, increase the um, lifespan of humans, right? And a lot of studies will say, for example, that we increase the lifespan, but what they're referring to is the median lifespan. So we made a mouse or a person be able to live for longer or have a higher quality of life av mm -hmm. on average. So we're not really saying that we can extend life, but we can say we can improve quality of life. So mm -hmm. in the case of aging, what we're trying to do is increase people's quality effectively. Mm -hmm. Essentially what, he, what he's saying is that, you know, like humans, we can live a hundred years. It's possible. It's difficult <laughs> like most people mm -hmm. don't get there but there seems to be an upper limit on the amount of time that a human can live and that's probably around a century but on average you know people live to be 80 depending on where you are in the world depending on like social determinants of health more than anything else really mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know so access to health care and that type of thing i mean i guess where i live in canada and depending, depending on your socioeconomic status more than anything, I think. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. What we're trying Definitely. to do in the aging field is not increase the maximum lifespan, so not try and get 
humans that can live till 150 years old, but just to try and see if there's things in the world or things that we can consume or things that drugs that we can make that reduce the burden of age-related symptoms for people. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about aging research, what we're trying to do more often is really improve quality of life and like like I mentioned before, reduce mm -hmm. the burden of age-related symptoms so that more people, or at least like people who have access to drugs or interventions, um, we're trying to improve access, but we're also trying to improve the drugs and interventions so that the quality of life over the length of a human lifespan, zero to 100 or whatever it is, is better. That's kind of where right. aging right. research is coming into play. It's not trying to increase the mm -hmm. lifespan, but it's in trying to increase or improve quality of life across the years. The quality. And as, as Om was saying, he kind of studies it from this, looking at these cells that are senescing over aging and the factors that they're secreting that contribute to this low-grade inflammation that occurs within our tissues. I don't know if you caught that in the last clip, but he said that senescence is a tumor preventative thing that happens in our cells. And so the reason yeah. for this is, mm -hmm. like he said, one of, the main, one of the main causes of senescence is DNA damage. DNA damage is also one of the main causes or DNA mutations of cancer, right. of cancerous cells. So yeah. you get transformation yeah. of cells based on the fact that they acquire mutations in certain genes or in their DNA that allow them to just rapidly divide and uncontrollably, mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. that they can kind of escape. Mm -hmm. They essentially escape this um, cell cycle arrest. But most cells, the ma vast majority of our cells that get DNA damage, don't become cancerous. They actually become senescent. And that's because you don't want cells with damaged DNA to continue dividing. So yeah, senescence right. is really just this yeah. sort of counteraction of tumors. But then he also noticed, he said that this inflammation and secretions that senescence um, causes as in aged individuals can contribute to cancer development and cancer growth. So I asked him how, how do these two things occur? Like, how can it be both? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's almost like when you turn the dial up a little bit too strong on something. So in the sense of yeah. uh, in, an, in a, um, a young individual, these senescent cells will stop cancer cells from dividing because they themselves were the cancer cell. So they'll stop dividing yeah. and then be cleared by the immune system super efficiently because we have these great immune systems that allow us to continue living and fight disease and also fight uh, the potential cancers that might develop. But in an attempt to have um, this low-grade, very fast, acute inflammation that will recruit the immune system, the, the double-edged sword happens a little bit later when the immune system can't keep up. And so when mm -hmm. it can't keep up, what ends up happening is this acute inflammation moves into a chronic inflammation. And that's exactly what we see with aged individuals, this inflammaging phenotype. And this low-grade inflammation, mm -hmm. when it's continuous and persistent, will actually lead to changes in, for example, the extracellular matrix, will actually lead to uh, mm -hmm. increased growth signaling for other cancers or adjacent cells, right? And can mm -hmm. also even induce more senescence in adjacent cells that have been also damaged over time. And you can imagine that in an aged individual, um, that this is almost like a, this is prime territory or prime real estate, because all of the cells have all gone through <laughs> a huge amount of damage, right? So promoting mm -hmm. the next guy to also become more damaged and diseased and then 
increase the inflammation over time is a really easy, a much easier job to do in an aged individual. That's interesting. The double-edged mm-hmm. sword. It's really, it's really interesting because it it makes sense how senescence is important and like the inflammation is important. Yeah. And works well in in younger individuals, but then it's it's almost it was a, I love Lucy when she's like putting chocolates in a box. Have you guys seen this clip? Old TV. Um, I love Lucy TV show, and she's like working at a chocolate factory, mm-hmm. and she's like, oh I have filling seen boxes this of chocolates, clip. but then the chocolates start coming really quickly, and so she starts like yeah. eating them <laughs> and like holding them in her hands, and like she can't keep yeah. up. So I just think that that's kind of like what your immune system is doing. That's exactly what it is. These senescent cells are coming down an assembly line and they start coming down faster and faster and Um, faster. That makes sense. Yeah. But if the chocolates could make more chocolates, that would also be then be an additional factor. At the same time, your immune system is becoming less efficient, right? Mm -hmm. So it's Mm -hmm. like... Yeah. So you used to have 10 Lucy's all in a line, just picking these chocolates off the assembly line. But now you have one Lucy and there's so many chocolates. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah um that makes sense so like but i mean there are like some things i guess are probably related to inflammation that might not be so obvious but like things like arthritis and stuff like that that's directly caused by inflammation right um so yeah some rheumatoid arthritis is okay an autoimmune disease i think hmm. so okay. yes which you see which is also an age-related condition that yeah. you see more often in I think the majority of autoimmune diseases are age-related as well. Age-related right. just means that the older you are, the more likely you are to develop the disease. Right. So It doesn't mean that you can't get it at a younger age. Yeah, it doesn't mean you can't get it at a younger age. It doesn't mean that you will get it at an older age. It just means we see a higher incidence in aged yeah. individuals yeah mm. and more than what you'd expect just because they've had more years to live mm-hmm. it's yeah this duality is is really interesting that like it can be good but then if the immune system can't keep up it can be bad <laughs> it do be that way so yeah. um recently had a paper published in nature communications on this topic cool. so He, as he mentioned, is studying sort of these secretions, so what senescent cells release, and how can you, how can you try and kind of take the good effects of senescence without the bad effects, and Mm -hmm. how is that related to aging Mm. and cancer? So I just asked him briefly to tell us about his paper that was recently published. So one thing that we want to do, as I described, is uncouple um, senescence from its negative counterpart, basically this inflammation, this these secretions. Mm-hmm. And one one thing in the field that's been prominent is to just kill the senescent cells. Yeah. Um, that has been one of the main strategies for a long time. Let's just get rid of them. Um, mm-hmm. And we can do that using uh, low doses of chemotherapies, but we don't have to get into that right now. <laughs> but you can do that very easily by killing these cells. One thing that has become more apparent over time is that senescence itself is really important for a variety of other um, developmental and homeostatic um, uh, regulations. And these are things like wound healing, um, things like glucose homeostasis um, and development in general. So killing senescent cells outright may also come with some uh, side effects to put it simply. Yeah. 
And so our goal in our lab was to try and say, how about we don't kill the senescent cells and we just rehabilitate them? <laughs> Maybe it's a better way to put it. So yeah. we ventured on this quest basically to try and find factors and many other labs have done this as well, but try and find factors um, that might be regulating these the secretory phenotype in senescent cells. Mm -hmm. And my um, principal investigator or my boss, Imed, uh, Dr. Imed Galuzzi, uh, is famous for working on this protein called G3P1. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a RNA binding protein. And what we showed was actually completely derivative of its, um, of its typical role. And what we show yeah. is that it's able to um, induce, uh, it plays a role in inducing inflammation in senescent cells. And so if we're able to get rid of this protein or inhibit it with um, pharmaceutical drugs and particularly natural pharmaceuticals, such as uh, mm -hmm. polyphenols that you can find in things like green tea, mm -hmm. you can inhibit it, we could actually stop these cells from secreting these pro-inflammatory uh, factors. Okay. And in doing so, we were able to show that one, we're able to limit cancer growth yeah, or at least reduce it back to normal when we compare it to cancers that have senescence. And then that we're also able to drug this target, mm -hmm. which is really cool. And so what did you, what did you drug it with? Was it with polyphenol or? Yes, it was, it was a polyphenol called, um, I'll never get the name right, but EGCG, <laughs> EGCG okay. which is epigalli catechin galli. Hmm. Cool. I don't want to. I don't want to be reductive, but it sounds like he's saying we should all drink more green tea. <laughs> what do you think my next question was? <laughs> oh my gosh! So but this sounds so much like um, some quack on Instagram or like Gwyneth Paltrow or somebody would be like, "Here, drink this green tea and stop yourself from ever aging or dying or anything." Well, I think, and I think there's a reason why those types of health influencers are so effective and it's because the vast majority of pharmacological drugs that we have come from natural sources right right mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. he's I mean, not he's not saying drink more green tea he's saying that a specific no. polyphenol that you find in plants yeah. like green yeah, yeah, tea yeah. leaves yeah can target this specific protein g3bp1 in case uh, you didn't hear and reduce the inflammation from senescent cells. And then this yeah. has effects on mm -hmm. cancer growth, where cancer growth in their model, when the cancer has senescence in it, it grows more. But if you treat it with this polyphenol that reduces the senescence, it doesn't grow as much. But it doesn't get rid of cancer. Like it. it no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> and also it's only a very specific study, so then you'd have to mm -hmm. like, go a lot further before you could actually prove the effect of either green tea or this particular thing on actual real life cancer cancer in actual real life people right we haven't we mentioned that so i was gonna say like he also commented on this kind of conversation around natural quote unquote solutions or mm -hmm. products yeah, i'd love to hear what he has to say so i asked him so i actually have two clips on this so one is about plant-based compounds and drug discovery for senescence um mm -hmm. and then i asked him about drinking more green tea. So we'll start with the plant-based compounds and drug discovery and then move on to the drinking green tea clip. I, I would say that it's not really derivative of what we already do in a lot of cases. Um, if you look at diabetes, for mm -hmm. example, one of the famous drugs is metformin, right? And metformin comes from yeah. 
uh, a plant as well. And before we even knew its mechanism, <laughs> we were using it uh, to treat uh, pre-diabetic patients. So I don't see any okay. real reason why we would avoid doing something like this in the case of aging, uh, particularly mm-hmm. because these polyphenols are super cheap, easy to extract. Um, if I do a quick mm-hmm. Google on EGCG now, you can buy it from anywhere you want. Uh, very easy. Yeah. <laughs> now, the, the question comes from, is, is always going to be a question of translation, right? How does this translate from mm-hmm. the cell in a dish to your body? Right. And I think that's one of the yeah. questions that we haven't really addressed at this point, exactly for the limitations that we discussed earlier about um, aging not itself not being a disease. How do we study if people improve their quality of life? And on top of that, mm-hmm. the phenotypes we're looking for or the at least the outcomes we're looking for are going to be dependent on the individual as well. So if we were to treat with a mm-hmm. polyphenol and we look for inflammation reduction, you're likely going to see it. Right. You're in, we, mm-hmm. we know that as uh, we know that uh, in fact uh, from the studies that we do. And so what the secondary consequence to that, does that improve your quality of life? Does it increase, increase your health span and not your lifespan, but health span? Mm-hmm. Um, these are all questions that we'll have to really take a, like a fine look at before we kind of go into a mm-hmm. craze of drinking all the green tea <laughs> we can, um, because that will also have <laughs> its own negative side effects as well that's um that's funny i'm i, I want to hear more about this drinking the green tea. yeah yeah i've got the next um, clip ready to go if you want it nice. but i just i wanted to say one one quick thing on this uh, it's interesting about the quality of life thinking about it like that because also like i think a lot of interventions for diseases can be harmful or like you mm, know prevent mm-hmm. the disease but also have side mm-hmm. effects and people mm-hmm. sometimes will like have to weigh okay well do I take this drug or take this treatment to get rid of something or to, to mitigate a disease, but also take the, the side effects. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting to think about. So like, yeah, are we going to just yeah. drink mm-hmm. gallons and ga- or liters and liters of green tea mm-hmm. because it, it'll improve our, thank you for translating into metric. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it's, it's just, it's interesting. And if, yeah. Even like if you, I think it's really interesting to use green tea or coffee as an example of this because they are both like caffeine and like coffee containing drinks are known to have a really beneficial effect on brain function and aging and like neuro- like prevention or like lowering risk for really? neurodegenerative disease. Yeah, we've we've seen huh. this effect in populations of people who drink coffee and people who don't. But <laughs> Coffee is a huge irritant for the gastrointestinal system, too. Like, it's super acidic. It can irritate the, Mm. like, lining of your Mm -hmm. stomach. So, same thing with green tea. Like, drinking gallons and gallons of liters and liters, drinking liters and liters of green tea (laughs) might provide your body with a, might provide your body with a lot of polyphenols also, depending on your ability to uptake more than a certain amount at a certain time anyways. Like, we don't know about uptake via the gastrointestinal system how efficient it is all the time especially if you're doing like if you're getting Mm -hmm. a lot of it right like we already don't know that part of it but then the effect Mm -hmm. of drinking so much green tea is also like you said likely going to have its own negative effects and these could be just like irritation of the gastrointestinal system 
Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the other thing yeah. that he touched on is the translation of like, okay, mm-hmm. we saw the effect in a petri dish with the cells. Yeah. yeah. Does yeah. drinking the tea actually do anything? Yeah. And beyond that, even if it does yeah. reduce inflammation, does that does that improve your quality? I think of it's life? kind of. I think it's kind of interesting that we like. Like, I think it's interesting that like our scientific brains went the same direction mm-hmm. as his. Yeah. So, Santa, how much tea do we have to drink? <laughs> to get a better quality of life. Let's ask um how much green tea he drinks. Let's why not? <laughs> As of right now, I think it's just one of those um, talking points that I have for a lot of scenarios where yeah. I'm like, oh, did you know that this does yeah. this uh, and selves? Because it's hard to tell people uh, or get excited about something that really hasn't been hasn't crossed the threshold of uh, the human standard, right? Um, so it's always it's 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 fun to get excited about it and want to make certain changes for your own life. Um, I know a lot of scientists mm-hmm. do do that. Um, yeah. I mean, they, uh, there's Dr. David St. Clair from Harvard University who works on rejuvenation and aging. He looks at it from the other mm-hmm. side of things, from the stem cell uh, angle as opposed to the senescence angle. We could talk about that later. Yeah. But he loves the idea of using these drugs on a day-to-day basis. So he takes metformin, <laughs> he uh, takes certain polyphenols very consistently. You can, he's very, he's an advocate for, well, I shouldn't say advocate. He loves to talk about how he does this stuff. And he, he believes he has mm-hmm. um, uh, positive outcomes from it. Me personally, I want to wait for the study. I want to wait for the peer-reviewed study. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um... Like, I can get that... I think that it's fine for your own personal use and to, like, talk about it, to be like, I personally am convinced this is going to make a big difference and therefore I'm making this change in my life. Um, I think it does have to be coupled with the caution that um showed um, in saying that he was going to wait for the peer-reviewed study. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think personal choices are personal choices, right? I think you should, you should definitely... Right. You shouldn't be promoting things that aren't cures as cures right. ever, or things that mm. aren't peer-reviewed, right. aren't shown to improve life in like a scientific manner, as an improvement. Right. And you sh- like if you, especially if you have any sort of platform to do so, like probably shouldn't be right. doing that because a lot of people also have a lot of different health problems, and these could interfere with other sorts right, of yeah, treatments exactly. they're already on for different health problems that like yeah could re- reduce their quality of life but like as like yeah. as individuals we all do things to improve our quality of life all yeah. the time that are personal choices like i like to wash my face and put skin cream on you know because i'm tr- I, I want yeah. i want good skin you know and especially i want good skin later on in life and to be fair that's i've probably been peer-reviewed it's i'm pretty sure there are studies on that but like if you wear skin cream you're more likely to have fewer wrinkles as an older person. And that's just how skin cream works. It does work. But like at the same time, the particular skin cream that I use has probably not been peer reviewed studied, like very unlikely, you know, and, but that's yeah. just a choice yeah. I made. Cause I like it and it feels good on my face. And it's also like psychologically speaking, it's a positive experience for me because I feel like I'm in control of something that's good for me, Yeah, you know? And people mm-hmm. should have yeah. access to doing that and should should do that, you know, especially yeah. if it's something that's probably 
probably not going to hurt you, you know? It probably, especially yeah, if it's things, no, like, things like drinking green tea are actually probably going to help you in some small way. And especially psychologically, it can be calming. It can be mm-hmm. like comforting and might have mm-hmm. a modest health effect. We don't really know, but like, if you enjoy it, do it, you know, yeah. but don't, um, yeah, yeah, yeah don't sure. pretend that it cures cancer. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so to talk about what are the types of senescence drugs and therapies, because you know, it's kind of come up a little bit. He was talking about polyphenols from plants. And he was also, he mentioned the fact mm-hmm. that, like, you can use, like, low-grade chemotherapy to wipe out senescent cells. So this kind of brings us into the realm of, so what what drugs are made to target senescence as a field? And, yeah, how do we do it? So. So one, I think they're, they're really, really cool. Um, for some background, just about how they work and yeah. why they work. There are two main classes. These are the senolytics and the senomorphics. The senolytics are really uh, an interesting tale because senescent cells love to kind of ride on the edge of life and death. What I mean by that is that these cells um, overexpress a variety of factors that could kill them while also protecting them. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if we were to tip the balance one way, we can actually just kill the cells outright because of their own mm-hmm. their own inability to maintain this balance. So a lot of chemotherapeutic drugs actually target these proteins that are what are called pro-survival proteins. And we can mm-hmm. drug them at a very low dose, even lower than what we treat with cancer, and they will immediately kill these senescent cells because they're living on this mm-hmm. kind of very malleable balance. So mm-hmm. when we treat them with the senolytics, we inhibit these factors and boom, they die. And they're mm-hmm. very, it's very, very effective. In fact, um, James Kirkland recently published a study in a phase one trial where they actually used some of these drugs and they showed in humans that they were able to reduce inflammation uh, and mm-hmm. some signs of senescence, which was really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the second class are these senomorphics. And this is, this is kind of where I'm falling into where rather than kill the cell, we either, we, we inhibit senescence itself, mm-hmm. the full process. And so that's kind of what we're doing, where I would really say that we're trying to develop a third class, which is not preventing senescence, but preventing the inflammation. So these mm-hmm. cinemo- in the case of the cinemorphics, they will typically prevent the cells from being able to enter senescence. And that's yeah. a good thing as well, because they won't be inflammatory in that scenario either. But in our case, we want to retain senescence for their normal physiological function while inhibiting mm-hmm. the inflammation. So I would say those are the kind of the two and a half ideas that are going around right <laughs> now. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. So because it's on this kind of like dual-edged sword and there's this like very delicate balance, you can really play with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With mm-hmm. drugs. Mm. So... Um, so yeah, that's kind of about like uh, senescence and drugs and therapies for senescence. And we already talked about the plant-based compounds and stuff. Um, so I did ask him what what's he most excited about in the field of aging. Mm. So mm-hmm. I would like to play that clip next. So this is what an aging, a researcher who studies aging thinks is most exciting about the the field of in which he is studying. Currently, what's really cool is exactly our ability to further understand how these cells function. 
how they work, why they are why they are problematic, and also as we continue to design drugs, are we able to design these drugs in a specific manner that becomes even more specific than simply targeting a senescent cell, but a senescent cell type? Let's say, for example, um, a senescent brain cell or a senescent macrophage. Can we target those specific specifically? And that really comes down to the um, pharmaceutical realm and developing these more mm-hmm. um, advanced techniques and abilities to target uh, different cell types. And I think that that's one of the main limitations that we have in the aging field is that at the moment, aging isn't a disease. So getting mm-hmm. uh, FDA approval or getting approval to treat people and do studies or clinical trials for aging is effectively impossible right now, right? We have to, yeah. right now, what we're doing is we're drugging age-associated diseases like arthrosclerosis, for example, or neuro- neurodegenerative disorders. And we use that as a proxy to test our uh, drugs right now. Mm-hmm. And if we're lucky, we can accumulate some data on mortality or um, inflammation and things like this on the side, which might tell us the effectiveness mm-hmm. of these in um, age-related disease or aging itself. But as of right now, Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how that develops. And now in the U.S. as the NIA, National Institute of Aging, uh, which is being developed mm-hmm. and they're pushing for more and a lot more pharmaceutical agencies are now developing an aging wing. And that's really, really exciting, I think. So I think just yeah. in general, the world is kind of seeing that if we can improve people's quality of life and not necessarily in- increase mm-hmm. lifespan, that we have a really, really cool mm-hmm. chance at um yeah, just living better lives, <laughs> living higher quality lives. Yeah. That's my goal. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting the way that he pointed out that there's this distinction between aging and age-related diseases and the fact that you're getting older isn't in itself a disease, mm-hmm. which I think is really important to remember. Yeah. But, like, it's also so correlated with so many different things that like not being able to study it in itself is like I can see how that would be difficult for researchers Mm -hmm. and you can see how like if you treated aging itself as a a treatable thing not necessarily it's not a disease but we only treat diseases so if you treated aging like a disease then you might be able to develop treatments for it that would not necessarily like right now he was saying you have to have a specific disease that you're interested in treating and then you might also get information mm-hmm. out about their effect on aging on but so many diseases yeah. are age related if we had things that sort of treated aging more generally as like a broad collection of symptoms yeah then you might actually reduce the prevalence of multiple things or the um the occurrence of multiple different types of diseases that we know occur with increased age, you know? So that'd be a really interesting way to go, I think, in this field. So we're going to talk a little bit more about telomeres because I think there's been some really interesting research on it. And it kind of it kind of delves into this interesting realm of aging research where we are, like, people were looking for what leads to a longer lifespan. And so for a while they thought it was telomeres. Mm. Um, so I have a few clips on this. I talked with Am about telomeres a little bit more and... We're just going to come back to that. So I asked him, uh, would it be possible? Does he think it will be possible, even though a lot of aging research is about quality of life, right? I asked him, will it 
does he think mm -hmm. there's like an ideal world where aging research leads to increased lifespan? Yeah, so I think for a while there was a craze in the idea of extending lifespan. Um, one of the big studies mm -hmm. that had happened, I think it maybe would have been 15, 20 years ago, was they took these mice and one thing that they did is they yeah. got rid of the ability for these mice to develop these telomeres. And what they showed is after a few generations that these mice started developing rapid aging disease, right? Mm -hmm. And so they assumed that, okay, these telomeres must be involved in lifespan. And so mm -hmm. the interesting thing was that if that's the case, we would expect that people who or not people, organisms that have longer lifespan may have these longer telomeres. In fact, that's not the case yeah. at all. Not the case whatsoever. And so the currently the connection between how long an organism lives and the biological signals mm -hmm. that might um, that might um, be a part of that or potentiate those uh, effects are currently a complete mystery. What we have mm. currently is only the, uh, the age-related symptoms. So these mice that rapidly aged, they weren't necessarily older, but they were developing issues mm -hmm. that were associated with aging, right? So we don't yeah. know why humans live to 100 or on, on the best days and why a mouse lives up to three <laughs> years on the best days, right? We don't know that, yeah. that difference. So it's currently a big black box. I Ideally, as a scientist, my goal is to say, we want to figure that out. That is a goal to understand that yeah. and what differentiates a human from a banana, even though the genetic code is very, very similar. Mm -hmm. um, but we have completely different lifespans. So as of right now, I think the primary goal is to improve uh, quality of life. That's my personal goal. Yeah. Um, and extending life currently comes with a lot of negative consequences like cancer itself. I think that was, that was interesting uh, that he talked about telomeres because for the longest time, like I, I never knew about them. And then we kind of found out more about telomeres and I thought, Oh, like there's this, I think it, it kind of made the rounds of the world that like we have this unlocked mm -hmm. the secret to aging like telomeres telomeres yeah. um and now it's kind of yeah well, actually. and to like recap <laughs> some of what he was saying and also some of the science around or the hype around telomeres is that so mm -hmm. like this study they if you shorten the telomeres of mice they develop rapid aging disease i'm pretty sure they also die earlier um so i asked him i actually thought this was an interesting kind of idea to think about what animals how long other animals live and what's going on there. So I asked him about um, more about this. I actually asked him what the longest lived animals are and what we can learn from them. I was going to ask this. Um, and so he d doesn't answer that. He doesn't know much about the longest lived an animals, but he does know about the shortest lived. So he says a bit more about short lived animals and telomeres. And then I also did some Googling on my own to find out more about longer lived animals and what's going on there. So we can talk about that after okay. too. Okay. So I'm going to play this clip. It's funny because I don't know a lot about the longest lived, but I know a lot about the shortest lives. Yeah. <laughs> I know the Tell us about the shortest lives then. <laughs> so these are things like you can a lot of like lab um, animals, so like Drosophila, mm -hmm. things like the C. elegans, these worms yeah. that don't live very long, maybe two weeks. Yeah. And we can extend that 
Um, and we know that the telomeres really have not a lot to do with it. So yeah. like I said, we still don't know, unfortunately, why one animal will live a short amount of time and one animal will not. I mm-hmm. think if I had to give a hint based on the current literature and what we know is it's yeah. the systems involved and it has to do with progeny yeah, right? and how, how progeny develop. There's a, there's a pattern of when progeny develop quickly, the animals don't need to live as long. There's mm-hmm. some, some evolutionary cue that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, in the case of humans, we have a long gestation period, nine months, and then we have a long developmental period, um, mm-hmm. 18 years up to 40 for different individuals. So yeah. <laughs> it'll depend on the person, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I think I'm later. one of those 40s, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Right? So the developmental period will change. And mm-hmm. also, again, it's I think a lot of this ends up coming down to evolution how it's selected for and where we end up selecting for um, due to to the nature of our brains and how we aggregate information and we pass down information as a evolutionary prime directive is a reason why we need to live for a long time. But why Um, why molecularly? No idea. Cool. Yeah. yeah, That makes sense. You know, if if your progeny don't take a long time to make and you've passed on your genetic information, like... Mm -hmm. You can die. No and you've worries. made sure your progeny right. have reached an age where they're able to take care of themselves and produce more progeny. Fans themselves. Yeah. yeah. And so it's interesting. Humans live ages long, though. What? Humans what? Because, like, we live, we live really long because you don't get to 36 and then die. Like, if you consider that you probably had most of the children you're going to have by the age of, like, right. 40, let's say. I get where you're going with this, Beth. And then you and then you wait for another 20 years to have them mature. And that's 60 okay. at the outside. Like, then you have another 40 years of life doing... Yeah, on your best days. What? I also think, like, what he was saying about the way that humans aggregate and pass down information and live in community structures plays a role in how long they live, right? Like, you don't... Mm -hmm. Raising kids and getting them to be able to produce offspring isn't the only sort of biologically useful task. And especially at at this point in human society, like, these aren't necessarily biological imperatives or reasoning for evolution and lifespan anymore. Who knows mm-hmm. what sort of yeah. evolutionary pressures are now on us that affect, you know, how long we live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we can wrap it up there. There's a couple final clips from Om's interview that I want to play. I'm just going to ask him for any final thoughts and also his future path. And then I have one final clip to play to you guys. That's a surprise. Okay. Oh, okay. I hope people get like a decent uh, lesson out of this and are not afraid things are looking really really good honestly uh in the aging field mm-hmm. there's way a huge amount of investment going into it mm-hmm. in terms of pharmaceuticals and research so it's a really exciting time yeah. for those listeners who might be interested in getting into aging um to join in and it's it's a really fun field and his future path scientific path that's a great question so the, it, I'm planning to graduate, hopefully, in the next year, if things go well. Yeah. Um, already starting to write parts of my thesis, which is great. Um, and moving forward yeah. from there. 
from there, I'm hoping to do continue aging research. I'm really in love with this field and uh, start collaborating yeah. with other labs and do a postdoc potentially. From there, mm-hmm. it's going to be a question of um, whether I start my own lab or join a pharmaceutical or biotechnology company. I'm really interested in joining mm-hmm. the drug development component of this because this is something I'm mm-hmm. really interested in, how these molecules interact with these cells. Can we develop this and push this into real life uh, intervention for individuals? So my goal is ultimately to, whether it's in academic research or in uh, industry, industry research, my goal is to develop drugs mm-hmm. to uh, target these cells and improve quality of life for individuals. And the last surprise clip. It's very short. I'm a huge fan of the podcast, as you know. So, yay! <laughs> that's so uh, nice. Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just been a listener from day one. So it was really awesome to get to get him on here because he's also a really talented scientist and PhD candidate. Yeah. And yeah. Has a really bright future in the field of aging. I think so. Totally. It's nice to get His him on. Science is really cool. Mm-hmm. It is. Thanks, Om, for explaining your science to us. We're a big yeah. fan back to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so that's, I you. think, the wrap-up, the fun end. I also appreciated that he said, like, it's a great field to get into right now because I, part of the fun for me of this podcast is sharing the science with people who might want to be more involved in science. And so yeah. here's another avenue of science yeah. that you can explore if you're interested in this type of thing. It's really promising. Yeah. Totally. Really interesting. Yeah. So. yeah. All right, do you have a quiz for us? Oh, shoot. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Sienna, how do you always forget um, this? <laughs> we can make it a rapid-fire three-question quiz. You know, no ties. It's only going to be three wins, questions. Wins. I'm going to need to hear your buzzers right now. Oh. Uh, okay. Uh, um, what's that? Your okay, I've got my, I've got my <laughs> buzzer. <laughs> okay, oh. what's Alistair's buzzer? My buzzer is... <laughs> which is probably what I'll sound like when I'm 65. Oh, and Beth, what's your buzzer? When I get older, raising my head. That's sixty-four. <laughs> Mine is brrp, brrp. That's the cells dividing. Oh, cute. Kind of sounds like the grinder notification, but anyway. Okay. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of you, I assume, would know. So, question number one: What is a stress that can lead to senescence? <laughs> I heard Beth first. Eating. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking more of like on the cellular level, but that's technically correct, I, I guess. I can give you a different example. Yeah. UV damage from the sun. Yes. Yes. Alistair, do you have an answer? I was going to say DNA damage, which is basically okay. what Beth said. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nicely Point done. To Beth. Point to Beth. Question two. What is senescence? <laughs> Alistair, go. <laughs> Senescence is when uh, cells stop dividing um, and just chill and release a cocktail of chemicals. Yes. Cocktail of proteins, but technically chemicals, I guess. Or proteins, yeah. chemicals. Or proteins, yeah. Find out next episode, she says, <laughs> deflecting. Alistair, do this episode. Yes. Good job. Senescence is when cells stop dividing, usually in response to stress, but um, yeah. they just chill. And hopefully get cleared by the immune system. Final, final question. It's neck and neck. Yes. So you know what I'm going to do when it's neck and neck? I'm going to ask you guys 
an opinion question that you both get to answer. <laughs> what did you think was the most, what did you feel like was the most interesting thing you learned today? Oh, um. Yes, Beth, go. Okay, I really enjoyed the whole episode. Um, I really enjoyed the, like, expert opinion, but, like, to me, the most, like, maybe not the most interesting, but the most clarifying thing that I learned was that all of your chromosomes are, like, separate but mushed up into a ball altogether. So it's not that you have one long piece of DNA, mm-hmm. but you have, like, several slightly shorter sections, and then they're all mushed together in the nucleus. Yeah. That's my answer. Nice. Good answer. I, I think it was really interesting to learn a little bit more about telomeres and how they're involved in aging. Um, but I also think, like, it was super interesting to just hear about Om's research and the field that he works yeah. in. Because uh, yeah. I have played many a game of Among Us with him, and he has absolutely crushed me. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's nice to know your enemy. Yes. Okay, <laughs> You'll crush him next time by distracting him with talking about Sinestro, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. True. I haven't ever met him before, even virtually, so he was a new person to me. But I, um, I think uh, his research is really interesting, but I also wanted to, like, say that I think that he did a really good job at communicating it. Mm -hmm. He was very clear and um, even a physicist like me (laughs) did know what he was saying. So yeah. So thank you very much to Arm for coming on and talking to us. Yes. I hope that I get to meet him properly, like either virtually or in real life at some point. Yeah. If you like what you heard on the podcast today, you can get in touch with us on social media or at not yet a dr yeah. on mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And our email is phd3tob at gmail.com. That's phd32b at gmail.com. And thank you all for listening to yet again another episode of Not Yet a Doctor. We really appreciate all of our listeners. It's been great to hear from you guys and get your feedback and your thoughts on our episodes. Uh, so, yeah, please yep. do not hesitate to reach out to us anytime and talk to us. Yeah, we love interacting with yeah. you. So I've hoped mm-hmm. you enjoyed this little episode that has made you all a bit older, but a lot wiser about yeah. aging. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm Sienna. My name's Beth. And I'm Alistair. And thank you for listening. You can check out our sources and our sources document. And also thank you to Ellison who produced this outro track that you are hearing now. So take care. Have a great rest of your day. Stay young. Stay youthful. (laughs)